The experience of being human has many universal qualities that make it easier to learn together than apart. The purpose of Emotional Warrior Radio is to bring the learning processes one goes through in talk therapy out into the world so everyone has the opportunity for growth. Come and join us on this journey. Welcome to the Emotional Warrior podcast. I have my guest with me today, Travis Neville, who is the author of two books, Jossman Method and um, Reviving Masculinity, and also a, a host of a podcast, Travis Neville podcast. So welcome and thank you so much for being here. So we love talking with Bianca. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. Um, we're. I asked Travis on to the show because he is... Uh, in both of his books, he's he's talked about relationships, about um, actually what's happened throughout his life as far as masculinity is concerned, his view on it. And, you know, I also think that something happens with personally with a man's masculinity once he enters into a long term relationship or into a relationship in general. And so I really like his take both on the the positive restorative aspects of his books um, and reviving it. But I also think it's important to look at, um, the difficulties or how we get into, or how men get into these relationships with women. And then once they pass that honeymoon phase, or they enter into a more of a, a real person face-to-face type of, um, issues start to come up that create, you know, more and more problems, either with communication, um, with knowing the person better than you did to the beginning and all sorts of things. So, I would really, I'm hopeful today that we can start to cover some of how men get into these relationships and then how they get stuck and as well as helping them to find a way or how do you start piecing things together in order to find direction either towards help or be getting out or reorganizing their lives. So let's begin on that. And I want to say the first question is, you know, how how do men get into relationships? I, I think like either when they're young men, either in high school, I know men start, I mean, young men even look towards women already with a certain thought basis or is it idealism? I mean, how, do, what do men think about getting into their first relationships or young men? You know, like so many things, I think with men with regard to women, it's one thing on the surface and it's something else underneath it. And a lot of times, most times men don't know what that, what that foundational thing is underneath it. And I would tell you that, you know, you're in high school and you start dating a girl. I mean, there's all these um, real shallow parameters, obviously what a person looks like is a concern, no matter what, you know, no matter how old you are, no matter what sex you are. Uh, But certainly there's a high value there for men when you're younger and boy, there's all these different aspects of where you rank socially are you you in the same kind of crowd are you you know things that just don't matter i mean who your friends are i mean in the long run none of that really matters but uh underneath all that essentially is it's it's validation right so you don't know that at the time but mm-hmm. it's um hey here's somebody who likes me thinks i'm good uh believes in me um smiles when i look at them um you know, that it's validation. All right. I am good. You know, and, you know, of course, when you're young, especially in high school, confidence is a thing that you just don't have. So, um, 
when someone else can can come in from the outside and tell you, I mean, you, they want to be associated and affiliated with you in front of their friends and in front of, as far as you're concerned, in high school, the entire world, right? Yeah. Um, right. Your microcosm. That's a heck of, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a big compliment. So I'd say that's how it begins, and you know, I think it could be like that in college too. I mean, depending on how big your friend circles are, what things you have going on, you know, how small or big your college is. I mean, there can be a lot of factors there that kind of don't matter, you know, when you're, when you're younger that, I mean, I I should say that they won't matter in the long run. They're not going to help you to have a better relationship. They're not going to help you to raise better kids. Mm -hmm. Uh, But those are the things, you know, those are things that get you attracted to how somebody looks across the car you know, that's not going to matter, but mm-hmm. yeah, sadly, that's what opens the door. Certainly for men. I mean, I think young women too. What do you think? Yeah. You know, I, I was thinking definitely when, and it can start there and that can be actually the foundation for, you know, what am I looking for? What am I attracted to? What's the chemistry mm-hmm. here? It's based on, you know, who do you know? You know, obviously you know, the friends and the looks are huge, you know, mm-hmm. and the confidence and, and but I, I think that it's important to point out that young men and women are looking for, you know, each other in this way to fill in that gap, right? That confidence gap when their identity is still forming. And Mm -hmm. and a lot of teenagers feel like they know, they know who they are. And they just, they know what kind of music they listen to and they think that's who they are. Right. (laughs) That's how that goes. That is so expressive. It's a powerful time of, of emotional identity and finding yourself and, and relationships can be really, you know, high voltage during that time too. But the idea of the confidence boost, you know, I think that that's something again, that's what are all these things leading to, but something that is just for me. And I also, so I try to kind of like look at this again, not in some sort of pathological way at all, but narcissistically in some ways. So when I talk about relationships, I talk about like how two people see each other as different as individuals and they respect the difference between the two people. And that's why they're together. Generally, that's very advanced. Right. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And it's very, it's very powerful, but not going to happen when you're 22. <laughs> right. Well, I try, we're trying to change that, but I, I think that that's not happening definitely in your teens, but as young adults start to move into this space, sometimes they're making these massive commitments without recognizing that they've really just kind of gotten with somebody that fills something inside of them, not yet respecting the person for who they are or understanding how to relate to that person. Is that, yeah, there's a lot of um, following old norms that you don't even realize. I would tell you, even when I got married, which and I was 30 North of 30 at that time, um, she just really acted a lot like my dad did. And I can go into different details about that later on, but yeah, it was, it was about dealing with something within myself and it didn't it had very little to do with her. Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a great point that you start to recognize and we can talk about that in the once things start to happen, right? That's definitely never on the surface. It's it's mm-hmm. never apparent in the beginning. So, you know, I I do find that men end up, you know, even later in life when I've asked as well, you know, how did you get into this kind of relationship? What were you thinking? Um, and what did you, we asked that of ourselves. <laughs> what the hell I, I know usually, 
<laughs> not <laughs> condescendingly, but really yeah. I'm very interested because clearly this is mm-hmm. not anything close to where it was before. And it was there. So, mm-hmm. but, but also too, you know, can I, you know, I think that another thing is, do you think that men also look to women, you know, we're talking about, this is more of the, the microcosm or the, on a, in a personal level, but what about that macro? What about the role that you can play with a woman or, or a young woman or what you see that you can live out? Do, have you had any experience with, you know, yeah, the- super common, um, especially again, getting into your twenties and, and out of any kind of mm-hmm. academic situation, as you and I have talked about in the past, um, you know, there's that impulse to protect and provide mm. and to have someone to provide for is super valuable. And, uh, you know, I would say good men are very driven in that way. They want to, in that, again, it, it comes down to validation. Here's this person that I can do great things for and help and support and improve their life and put a smile on her face. And I get that, that validation. And now it's because I'm, you know, made enough money for us to go on vacation. And, um, you know, like I can afford, she can buy a nice car and that's me working hard and that's me pulling my weight and having some purpose and having value and having, um, you know, a, a sense of fulfillment. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for sure. That's, that's super common. I mean, that's the core thing for men. And I think it doesn't get, uh, for most guys, they can't express it well. They, they don't really know that's why they want to do that. They just know they want to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're, that's why we're kind of putting some words to it. And I really am focused on this provider aspect recently in my work um, with men specifically, because it, it seems like, again, I mean, and I'm, and I'm wanting to know more really, because you're, you're talking about, you know, that this might be an organizing force. This might be something I think in a man's mind that is really innate that, that if we're, they're not in some ways performing the providing role, Instead mm-hmm. of it being something necessarily like, oh, okay, you, you shouldn't be a, <laughs> you shouldn't be a provider, you know that's not necessary, that kind of thing. Right. You, you know, you do some say, you know, some of these roles, like we were saying, like what matters, what doesn't matter, and I right. and I'm wondering about again this provider, this idea of being a provider for someone or something, and all the things that you talked about, like is is self gratifying, but it's also or validating, but it's, but it's also more than that. It's providing a sense of purpose. And if men don't necessarily get to that place, you know, maybe in their thirties, I bet they start like a woman wanting a baby or something. I'm I'm wondering if it's that powerful. I would tell you, it's going to start to happen before that. And you just won't even realize that I had, um, as I, as I mentioned before we started recording, I met this morning with a, a dear old friend that I went to high school with and we were discussing his uh, divorce, which was about 15 years ago or something. And he said he came across some videos of him with her recently. And he watched that video and he saw himself and and what he, he said, she's exactly the same as she ever was. You know, I see her at our kids graduation. I see, and she has never changed. She's always been the same, but I was a very different man. Then he calls himself, I was just a shell of myself. And um, you know, it's a, that conversation morphed into that purpose thing, you know, and if he didn't have a purpose back then, he knew it, you know, even after he had some kids, he didn't really put that together in his mind. I talk often about, you know, that your purpose is something that you choose, you choose it. Mm-hmm. And it, it's not just going to fall on your lap one day. Oh, I don't know. I'm just going to keep going to school and have a job and 
you know, something will come my way. It doesn't work that way. You pick something, you choose to do what you do. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and if you don't, you'll suffer this purpose void, which I would tell you is responsible for men who are unhappy slash, uh, not performing as they should in their relationships slash obese slash depressed, you name it, basically all the negative things men can be. It's almost mm -hmm. always because they don't have a purpose. They don't have that something like providing, right? That'd be a purpose. If they don't have that, mm -hmm. what the hell are you doing here? And then you start getting into existentialism and getting depressed pretty quickly. So yes, without that, you're in trouble. And so that's why I threw it so strongly into my second book. If you don't have a purpose, go find one. I don't care what it is. Vol volunteer at the local pet shelter. You know what I mean? Start yeah, awesome. the neighbor's lawn. Make, yeah. Take some responsibilities on. Mm. Once you have those responsibilities, they will get you up in the morning. Everybody wants to complain and bitch about their rights, but rights don't drive you. Your mm -hmm. responsibilities do. They will right. get you up. They'll get you moving. They'll make you, you'll feel accomplished at the day. You'll have that purpose, right? Right. I don't know. I'm rambling, but yeah, that's the, uh, that's, without the purpose, you're, 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 you're doomed as a man. Well, I think I think that does answer the what I was, you know, at least in part right now, what we're, I'm looking at is, you know, is providing purpose enough? And sometimes men that are, you know, still in this haven't defined what their purpose is, go to default mode, possibly, well, then I need to provide for a family. Okay, let me find a money. Oh yeah. Make money. Make provide, money right? yeah. And then I, let me find me a woman to do that with, you know, and then, Oh, yeah. you look good, you know, with these yeah. qualifiers and boom, now, now you're still a shell though. And you're exactly. Yeah. That's yep. And that, those were the words that my buddy mentioned. He, he used that phrase that I'm a shell. I'm, I'm just going through the motions. If you can't really, you know, wrap your mind around and really understand and, grasp that hey this is why i'm here this is why i'm here accept it enjoy it right if you can't well, do that then yeah you're just a shell right well because i would say that if i go into a relationship based on trying to provide me with validation or provide me with purpose or provide me something to do so i feel better you know about what where my life is going that is really dangerous because super one-sided yeah right because now that might not come back that that could that person could say i want the same thing but cool the wanting the meta you know the wanting the big part of this isn't saying like what does it take to get there it takes again this understanding like i've made a choice that the the idea is about the relationship i want to be able to have a relationship with you for long enough for us to you know actually get to know each other and see if all of those other nice big ideas can be a reality instead of jumping yeah. towards the the idea and really never figuring out whether or not this is, you know, it does mean something to us that we can, you know, go through all of the, the hard times and good times, you know. I, I agree. I agree. The yeah. car gets in front of the horse sometimes. Or that's the wrong way to say it, I suppose. It's well, this. you know, I think that's right. I think that's it. Exactly. You, yeah. Yeah. You can you can love the hell out of somebody and love mm -hmm. the life you have together and love the family that you have started, but you never learn really who they are. So you don't, maybe you don't like them. Maybe you don't know them well enough to even like them. And that's what you hear all the time. Oh, we were friends first. That's really helpful. You need to be friends, right? That's the like part. People get so wrapped up in, and this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And 
Yeah. It's that time in my life and she's great and she's willing. So, you know, they say that, uh, women, uh, get, get married when they find the right person. Men get married when it's the right time. And I think I found that to be true over and over again that, Hey, oh, this is the time in my life. She's the one that's in front of me. All right, here we go. (laughs) yeah yes i think that's so that's great i haven't heard that and that's i think it's a nail on the head um yeah for sure you you know and and i so i'm let's talk a little bit more i mean we're going to get into this idea now of let's say you get into the relationship and let's say we're assuming that you possibly got into the relationship you know this main one that you were talking about where a lot of similarities with your father and this person. And so there's, there's something that I'm wondering too, is like, when does that wear off when now I'm saying like, how do you cope with stress of communication issues? How do you start to now, now the the decision's been made. Now you're in the relationship um, and things start to get messy. What, I mean, what do you remember seeing first? How do you remember reacting to um, that. Yeah. So I'll give you a little bit of background. So I met, uh, this woman, I had graduated from college and, um, you know, all my friends, I, I started college late. I didn't go to school till I was 21. Okay. And, um, so I felt behind in that way. I watched my friends as I was finally graduating, they were buying houses. When I was finally buying a house, they were getting married. And when I got married, they were having kids and, and I never got to the kids part, but I always felt behind and, and, um, Anyway, after college, I met this woman and, you know, just like I described to you, I don't think I'm any different than all the other guys I talked to. She was at the right place at the right time and she just mm-hmm. was the wrong person. And it was more, I don't know. So the thing, the thing with my dad was this, he was always, as I was a teen, he's my hero growing up. And, yeah. and then when I was uh, hit my teen years, all of a sudden he was very different. And I know that that, you know, it's partially because I was different. You hit start hitting those hormones and you're you're just not the little boy you were, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're changing. You've got different insecurities and different issues that you're managing. And, yeah. And, uh, but right around at that same time, it was just a coincidence to have the same time. He started having problems with my mom and, um, mm-hmm. you know, they ended up splitting about the time I graduated from high school, but during those years, those pretty important years. And I, I do a lot of research about this, how important fathers are, uh, in those teen years, they're far more important than mothers are mothers much earlier, right? First few years, first seven, eight years, mom's huge. And dad's kind of a bystander. Mm -hmm. And then it it switches over where dad's presence is more important. And he, he didn't have it in his tank. You know, we had too many things going on. I understand that. So he, he appeared to me as a mountain that was unclimbable. Right. I mean, but I still very much needed his um, approval. I mean, he was my number one source of approval. Uh He's uh, great guy we're very close now but um you know i would try and try and try and it was never good enough that's how it felt you know i was a three sport athlete and uh, did all these things that i knew he was to make myself stand out for my two siblings they didn't do those things i knew my my dad had been a coach his whole career my dad also was a teacher and i could never get him to finally approve and say you know things are yeah you're great man i'm so proud of you you know this is great he always was had an issue with me. There was always a problem and it had nothing to do with me. We we're very similar. So we butted heads for that reason, but he just didn't have anything left in the tank because he was dealing with losing the, his, his family. Right. That's what mm-hmm. he was dealing with. Yeah. So that became normal uh, to me. And I meet this woman after college and, and she was just that same way. Bianca. She, mm-hmm. I couldn't get her to approve of me and I couldn't get her to stamp her validation on anything. It didn't matter how much I did. Um, ultimately looking after we were married, you know, doing things to the house. And I built this 900 square foot garage and 
remodeled our bathroom. I've done all these things. And she'd always walk in and say, well, I, I want you to change this thing and make it this other way. Right. So she, and that to me felt very normal. It felt very, all right, mm-hmm. this is how it's supposed to be because that's how it was with my dad, you know? And I, ah. I had no idea it's what I was doing. I only know this stuff after doing some, some therapy and some research. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I got, after I got married to her, we had been together for four or five years at that point. Um, you know, I, I thought, well, I'm probably gonna have a family here and I, I need to fix this problem with my dad. You know, like we still were very hit and miss. I'm like, I need to do this. So I started, um, calling him every week. I'd call him on Monday on the way home from work every week, 45 minute drive just on Mondays. I'm like, I'm going to make sure that I feel like I'm doing what I need to do to fix this relationship. And that's going to have to be enough, regardless of his reaction to it. I'm going to commit myself to this. And after one school year, everything was marked in school years. Then I was a teacher. Mm -hmm. We had a, a much closer relationship. It's like it is now. And he lived in North Carolina and he came up and visited a couple of times and helped me with my house. And Great. hung around and became a much bigger part of my life. And I realized that I had power to change that, fix it. And mm-hmm. it just was very rewarding. And right around that same time, I was realizing that whatever that drive was that made me want to be with my ex-wife, it was like somebody hit the toilet flush button. It was gone. As soon as I fixed my shit with my dad, my desire to be around her was just completely gone. All that was left were the daily you know, things that I'd stub my toe on, you know, the, the comments that she'd make and all the terrible things that happened. We don't need to go in those details, but that's all that was left. And I was, again, I'm thinking to myself, as you said earlier, yeah. what the hell are you thinking? You know, what are you doing here? You know, this is not going to gonna go anywhere. You've just wasted a bunch of time. And so eventually, you know, I, I ended up leaving, but um, that's what it was. I mean, that was me chasing this, this version of normal, which you and I have talked about so many times. It's just so powerful. It makes people do dumb shit all the time until they figure it out. Yeah. You know, I think that's where people need to slow it way down because the unconscious yeah. is driving this. I, I actually yes. call it kind of a bit of a, an autoimmune response is a, is the mastering trauma. We're looking to finally get to the top of the mountain that we didn't get to hear or get the thing that we didn't get there. And we have a wish. It needs to be fulfilled by the depriving person though. It can't be fulfilled by the person that's willing to give it right. We're not attracted to them, you know? No, of course not. Of course not. And it's a damn shame. It's a damn shame. It it is. And and I think that that's where the young, I think that in some ways that's what you have to really kind of almost assume in some ways life's never really perfect. And, and there's the relationships with your parents aren't. So really do look for what you're doing. Like be curious about yourself, be, you know, be able to think about, you know, your drive towards this person for this reason, you know, and, and I want to ask though, as far as being in the relationship, you keep on kind of mentioning it was comfortable, but usually there's a lot of uncomfortableness that starts to emerge or what did you really feel like? the way that she was treating you just was totally like it, it, it didn't really create a conflict with you because I, I'm wondering, like, I mean, like, huh? The way you're asking if the way that she treated me created a conflict for me. Yeah. It definitely like, did. Huh? It did. Oh, it definitely did. I mean, there were a hundred problems. I mean, she was so um, good at, and man, I, I, I don't, I still have yet to find a way to talk about this. that doesn't make it sound like I'm bitching or blaming her. And I don't want to do that. Um, 
I'm certainly not defending her, but I know that um, she had a rough upbringing of her own that was very different than mine. Mm-hmm. And there was, at least the last year we were together, she was a raging alcoholic and pill addict. And I didn't have, I mean, I was so wrapped up in my own shit. I had no idea. I didn't find out any of that until six months after I left. I got a, a statement mm-hmm. of benefits from my health insurance because she was on my health, insur- health insurance. I was a teacher. I had good insurance. And showed that she had checked into a rehab facility. I'm like, what the hell is going on? And, and then everything started to make sense. Think, you know, dots started to line up and I just was so, um, hmm. you know, weakened by that. Hmm. You know, I had some massive anxiety issues and I had, uh, it wasn't a good time for me. And so hmm. I couldn't see past that. I couldn't, I didn't have the tools that I have now to look at what she was doing and, and really understand it and be able to see what was going on with her. And I consider that a shortcoming of my own. I didn't, um, not that I don't think that in any way, there's not a, a thought in my mind that if I had handled myself differently, that this relationship would still be going because it wouldn't be, no, but not um, at all. It's, had I handled myself differently, I could have made the relationship more manageable, but in that I would have had to be far more dominant and far less caring and warm. Like I prefer to be. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I just don't want to live like that. That's what it takes to get her to be manageable that's what it would take. And I assume that who she's married to now is like that, or maybe he's not, I don't know, but um, that's what it would have taken to make that work. And I know I didn't want to live that way. Yeah. That wasn't a value of of yours. You know, I think that's, I think that's the kind of thing that I'm looking for as far as like, you know, when we're, we're merging, like we're talking about real life experience and trying to show, you know, really how this experience yeah, I don't know. It culminates psychologically, right? This is where I I, I really try to work and in, in helping people because the experience itself is so descriptive. It's heavy. There's a lot of emotional memory connected to it, but it's it's good to be able to take that like a, that even in that situation and go into an objective view. And I think psychologically speaking about something helps us do that. So, you know, in this. In this context, I see a little bit more um, clearly how it is that you, you know, you coped with what I would call like a total value violation, you know, even That's though. Value. Yeah, total difference in values. I mean, we might, we started around here mm-hmm. and just went. Yes. And, and that, and that that's, I think that's where men really have to start to consider how are you, what are your values? How do you want to show up? who are you? You know, you want to be yourself. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. You know, define that. Um, and, and make sure that you have a pain threshold for, you know, that value, meaning that if somebody starts to push into that or override it, that you're able to stand up positively for it. What happens is, is that, you know, I think this is what I talk about too, is that men tend to not want to be aggressive towards their partner and their relationship aggression. Right does this thing where starts to railroad them and then they have symptoms like anxiety or depression or, and I'm like, wait, that's a sign of, <laughs> of something happening. Oh, yeah. that you're being overwhelmed. Yeah. And that's, ex- I would agree. It was, uh, it was overwhelming for me. And I see it mm-hmm. with guys that I work with all the time. You know, you're, you're having all these weird ass symptoms that I remember from then. Like I had a guy tell me the other day that he, would fall asleep at night just out of exhaustion and he'd sleep for maybe 45 minutes and he'd be wide awake for two hours. And it just brought me right back. 
you know, that's massive anxiety. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And and you're wide awake staring at the ceiling for a couple hours. And again, you fall asleep out of it, uh, exhaustion and get back up. Like these are, it's really bad. <laughs> you get to that, like you're in such bad shape, uh, you know, and I, I was there, yeah. I did all, I was, I was in all those spots, but you know, there's another male tendency and that's, Hey, I mean, I'm strong. I can handle this. I can deal with this. I can manage this. I don't want to bring problems to the relationship. I'm the provider. I want to provide for her. I don't want her providing and protecting me. So I'm not going to bring my burdens to her. I don't want to do that. And you do it to, to a fault. Uh, and then you're, that problem comes out somewhere else. I mean, I, I watch guys do it all the time. Yeah. Being a burden and saying I'm strong enough. It, it's, it's all of this is at the same time suffering from something that, you know, can drive people into, you know, serious emotional health issues or stress issues. I mean, insomnia, stress, I mean, you name it. And then taking up you know, obviously, you know, self-medicating somehow. I mean, they're not oh, I'm just going to um, say that. I mean, every, every fifties, uh, you know, husband, you yeah. know, get home, drink, work all day, drink all night. And then two weeks a year, drink all day, drink all night. Right. Yeah, you're you're yeah. self-medicating, you're distracting, you're, you're, you're numbing because you have no, no, especially those guys back then, no idea how to start to even understand it yourself, let alone talk about it with somebody else, even if it were acceptable to talk about those things with other men, let alone your wife. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I feel bad for those guys. I mean, they just got so bound up and they died at 62. You know? They did. And and yes, absolutely. Barely knew, you know, nobody knew grandfathers for a time, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> your grandfather. Yeah. And, and I, and I, I think that still even today, you know, so where we're, and I'll go to the next aspect of this, which really is, is like, so dealing with the communication issues, dealing with the stress, dealing with that partner, and it is really, it's not in some ways, it's not actually uh, communicating openly or trying to get, you know, becoming more dominant or doing something that really does shift the dynamic. It's, I'm going to go ahead. The way I deal with issues is pile it on, start to suffer, coping mechanisms that are hurtful to me and, and defenses that are hurtful to me. And it's hospital versus, uh, versus fitness center, right? Yeah. It's, it's, I'm willing to triage when shit gets so bad that I can't sleep, have a heart attack, whatever. I'll deal with that when that happens, but I'm not willing to proactively make my life better. You know what I mean? I think that's, that's been the male perspective for a long time. I think that's changed. And that's one of the good positives that's one of the good things about the incredible softening that's happening to men generally right now. That's one of the upsides. I think overall it's much more damaging than it isn't. And that's why I wrote the second book, but um, yeah, that's one of the upsides. I mean, I, I notice it with my friends in my age group, we have all become much more able to talk about those things than we were when we were 20. I mean, and a lot of that just has to do with that being able to understand it to begin with, let alone, you know, let alone verbalize it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, when I talk about in it too, it's a funny, that's the word softening is like a lot of times psychologically, when you enter into therapy, we find there's a lot of rigid defenses and oh, what, sure. what we require is really people to, you know, soften those defenses, like really like allow for different types of information and perspectives to round out the edges. So, I mean, mm -hmm. it is a kind of almost a sensation of, you know, not feeling like you have to be in that space in order to deal with it and then ignore all the consequences. So I, men are really becoming much more interested 
and their emotional and mental and physical health now yeah, because they, they're, right, that, that they're seeing their whole people. They're not a you know, function of society. And, and I, and yeah. I, um, and I dare say, you know, and I think that's more men are seeking. And I want to say this, just as a side note, most, uh, at least 90% of the time, 95% of the time that I get couples therapy calls is from the guy now. Oh, shit. Yeah. Well, and, I, and sometimes it's because surprise me. sometimes she says, you know, you're the one that needs to call because you're the one who has the problem and, you know, you find it. Or it's it, another test. She's yeah. She's like, well, if you really love me, you'd call and set this up. Yeah. Yeah. Could it that. could be, it could be that too. So, but I, I find that they're, once they're, they're there in the conversation, they're very interested, you know, in trying to figure something out, regardless if it's going to be paid. Yeah, it's like getting a, getting a, like I said, it's like being in a different country and all of a sudden somebody gives you Google maps. Yeah. You're like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you know, really, really eye opening, right? The lights come on. Yeah. And it's that, and that's, I think that's the, the fun part about it being cognitive or, you know, intellectual. So, you know, the, the thing is, is that they, people get stuck in this and that's the, kind of my, you know, my last question is about being stuck and getting out. I, I women divorce 70% of it. I found that stat the other day, 70%. Higher than that. Yeah. And probably of the time you know, what's, what's wrong with a, you know, I mean, these are relationships that are ending no matter what I, what I'm not trying to get it to be 50, 50. I'm not saying there's some optimal thing here, but I just wonder, you know, why men aren't initiating this process or finding like self-protecting or doing anything that says, you know, I've had enough. Is there really not a, a threat? I mean, you did though. So I'm, I'm wondering about your, yeah, I'm kind too. of the outlier there. Mm-hmm. You're right. I mean, everybody I talk to, she initiates it and he's like, what the hell? Right. I, I'm blindsided. I can't believe this just happened. I mean, that's pretty common. Yeah. I don't know. I wish, I, I mean, I can throw a bunch of theories at you, but why that happens. I mean, I always go, go to this. I think women um, are more covert than overt in general. So they're going to, mm. they like to drop the hints. They like to, you know, beat around the bush a little bit when they finally do get overt and say, listen, you need to fix this or I'm done, they're probably already done. (laughs) If they got to that point, um, and and it's probably already over. And I think, you know, I'm not going to say that's a knock on women. And like, if she's not communicating as well as she should, she's probably been communicating in a bunch of different ways for a long time. Um, He -hmm. just wasn't hearing it. You know what I mean? And that's a well, he, he might not be hearing it. And I, I think this is the, the point too. I don't know if you and and your, your ex-wife did this, but I find that when their men are in therapy or they say, okay, fix this. And I said, well, it's not just a fix. It's a, a mutual uh, understanding needs to come, become, you know, starting to understand the dynamic that you were in. And now we need to, you know, create a new dynamic. So that takes two people and, oh, she's not willing. That's a lot. Or, oh yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing. It's like, but what you know would I mean? be fix in a relationship it. then? That's our wheelhouse. I got fix it down. Whatever <laughs> you tell me what to do, I'll fix it. it. But all those things you just said, holy shit. You're to a dude that's gonna be incredibly intimidating. I have no idea how to even start. It's gonna mm-hmm. feel exactly like it feels you and I do in these podcasts and books and things where it's all foreign, all complex, all intimidating. Right. So it's 
it's like it it's to stay in this place hoping that it's not going to happen or that you're going to keep it together. I just feel like that that's just like a stasis. You know, there's, there's a lot of like, okay, I'm, I'm not really going, not necessarily growth mindset, new, you're, you're challenged. And I, I think women saying to them, fix it and them going, well, I don't know how to fix this kind of thing. I keep on trying all these different things. This is where the communication breakdown is like that dynamic right there. Men don't need to fix anything. They need to learn something. And women need to learn also how to hold space for a man to have feelings and see him as a person, you know, without making him seem weak or function. Right. Exactly. So, I mean, I think in that way, I'm, I'm kind of seeing like what, why people get stuck is, they're not even seeing each other as people and some, you know, they're just, okay, this is something, this is a roll of the dice. And that's why you said what we were talking about in the beginning, you're with that person to fill some role for you. And eventually that's all their, their value is to you. I mean, I, I see that from, from men all the time. And I think it's probably happening for women as well. I mean, I, I know that I just filled a role for my ex-wife. My job was to look good in Facebook pictures and make the money and pay the bills. And that's all she cared about. Like, it didn't matter what I wanted. If it didn't line up with what she wanted, it wasn't Mm going to work. And I understand that. That's okay. That's how you are. That's what you want. It's just not what I want. I should have seen that five years earlier, Mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, that's, that's common. You were, you were asking about why men sit in a relationship when they know it's not going well. Um, You know, I think there's just, there's fight, flight, and freeze, right? Mm-hmm. Men have fight and flight down, but freeze is a really uncomfortable thing. It, it's uh, disorienting. And, you know, that's the reaction that's appropriate when you are faced with a thing that you just completely don't understand. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's what happens with guys. They're like, well, um, like, say you've got a list of tasks to do, and, and, you, know, three, you know, there's five things you have to do. And, and one of them is this, what you just said, all those words that you said about, um, getting your, learning your partner and, and get building your relationship and all those things that need to be done. And then the mm-hmm. other four are cut the grass, uh, wash the cars, fix the fridge. You're like, well, I can do that stuff. So you go and you knock those out and you're, you're the whole time just going, I hope this is enough for mm-hmm. her so that it will compensate for this other thing that I've got no idea how to do. I don't, I have, I have, I don't even know where to start. I'm completely lost. If I just do all these other things, hopefully that's enough. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? That That's a super common um, male reaction to being faced with a thing that they just yeah. don't know. You don't know. And, <laughs> you know. And it makes, and it makes sense then, you know, the, the freeze, the feeling stock, the doing the other mm-hmm. things. And, and can't you acknowledge that as, you know, my love language? Right. right. Isn't that right. enough? Um, yeah. And, and the woman not knowing how to, I, th- I think this is the next step, you know, in a lot of ways, as far as I- I'm concerned is like our evolution. If we're really going to have a family, if we're going to reinvent or reorganize the family unit and have, revive. you know, revive. Yes. You know, is it would be wonderful to, to have a way of it really embracing that both I don't women might have a huge emotional language repertoire and all their that doesn't mean they about themselves communicate. and about other women yeah but, not necessarily about men yeah or how to know how to communicate and hold mm-hmm. space for that and, and empathy I see that's mm-hmm. very much missing 
So, you know, that's, that, that's so it's men don't know how, men, women don't know how either. They're not taught um, how to, I don't think anybody is taught how to empathize. They're taught how to sympathize, but not empathize, sure. right? So yeah, two very different things. Very different. And I, I find that when we're working through, everyone's going to, like I was saying too, you know, getting really interested in not attachment styles. I'm not interested in, you know, in like, oh, you got to ask somebody their attachment style when you meet them. No, but most people don't know them. They have no right. idea what, what it is. They might want to think they're one thing and they're not, <laughs> you know? Right. But too, it's like so presumptive and there's such a blend of things. It's more, mm -hmm. can I get to know where you're coming from? Not judge it, intimidate it, be intimidated by it, but understand that the human experience of, of how somebody really, you know, attached to you and related to you. And, and I want you to be curious about me too. So it's, I, I think even sure. starting relationships off where, you, you start off human, not idealized. You can, you know, have all the fun, love feelings and chemistry and all of that, but really yeah, wanting to be open from the beginning in some way without one person having to like, and a lot of times women are more open in these situations and guys are a little bit more closed, but it's, it's about getting comfortable with listening you know, and, and being vulnerable, you know, that those kind of well, things. Yeah, I think that goes back to the validation piece. You don't want to, you want to be validated. So you're not going to do anything that might cause a lack of validation. Right. So you, you aren't as open, you show her less than, you know, I think that's normal for both sexes, I suppose, but I think guys can carry that a lot longer into a relationship. Yeah, I think they can. I, I, and not recognize that how much of their experience has been difficult for them, you know, or, you know, it comes out. I just think that that's something again, like, you know, your relationship with your father affected you and deeper levels, your relationship. And this is another point. I'm, I think I want to really work on making more of, uh, I think a, a discussion for is that the relationships men are in with women actually are significantly traumatizing as well. So meaning oh, that, no doubt right? Not trauma in some sort of victimized way, but there are emotional imprints and experiences that are completely lacking morality, your ethics, your reality, you know, your, your reality is, you know, total, and that's trauma. It doesn't have to be uh, something where, it, you know, some, something terrible, terrible. So sure. I think just men something that's crossed with what your goals are. Yeah. Right. And that's it. And, and hit hard. And then you have to rearrange yourself in order to be in a, in a relationship with that person, not to get that again. And, and so I find men that come out of these, so this is the kind of last part out of these relationships is that there are some, there's some real pain. There's some real damage to self-esteem to uh, a man's ability to trust themselves uh, a lot of anger uh, and hatred sometimes. And uh, all of those are conditions yeah. of, of trauma. Let me tell you the, um, the commonality that I find it's this, that you, as you grow as a, as a, as a young, as a boy, you are developing what for lack of a better term, we'll call your conscience. Okay. So that voice in the back of your head, that's telling you, Hey, that's good. Hey, that's bad. You beating you up for things you shouldn't do. And, and, praising you for things that you should do. I say it all the time, the men run on praise, right? But also we run from, uh, 
you know, the, the negative effects of what might be in your conscience. So your parents are that when you're, when you're young and they develop good parents, develop that voice in the back of your head that eventually becomes you, you own that, right? That this is me. This is what I, I did this thing today. And I know I did it for a good reason, but I don't feel good about it. And here's why. And I, I don't want to do that again. <laughs> Having that reflection is great, but it comes from knowing that there's a difference between your action and your belief and your belief. That's your conscience. So <laughs> when you get with a woman and you, you create this relationship, you shift a lot of those conscience responsibilities onto her. She becomes that for you. And then the longer you're with her, the more deeply involved with her you become, uh, she can take like 90% of it. So you aren't, wow. um, you're almost remote controlled in some ways, at least psychologically in that way that, you know, if, if, it, the thing isn't real. The thing isn't real until you tell her. The thing isn't bad until she thinks it's bad. The thing isn't awesome until she tells you it's awesome too. You might feel those ways initially, but she becomes another half of you. Truly, that's a good relationship and that's a good thing. And when she's in the right place and you're doing the right things and all it can do is make you better. So you came in feeling good about a thing and she felt good about it too. And you just, right. And mm -hmm. you came in feeling bad about a good thing and she maybe helped you feel a bit better and you just get stronger. Right. So, but, but there's such tremendous vulnerability there. And I don't want to, I can't stand Brene Brown. I think she thinks she knows men and she doesn't know anything about them. She thinks that they're, they're women with beards. Uh, so she talks a lot about this vulnerability bullshit. And I think it's, it's horse manure, mm -hmm. but I will tell you that when you are in a relationship, you can't not be like, you're going to be. Yeah. And when your conscience truly a part of your mind, truly a part of your thought process is, is rooted in this other person. And again, I don't think that's bad. I think it's, it's really good to become one, right? That there's tremendous potential there for incredible trauma. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's that, you know, if I come to you and I am beating myself about something and you kick me while I'm down, man, now I really feel bad. And the more times mm -hmm. that happens, yes, you're going to leave with tremendous trauma and you're going to have to rebuild that conscious now on your own. After mm -hmm. you leave that person, you're going to have to stop thinking the way that she thought about you. You're going to have to stop treating yourself the way that she did. Mm -hmm. Even if it's just in your head, um, that will, it can just crush you. It's and it yeah. could take years and you've got to do a lot of thinking about it and talking about it and uncomfortable emotional labor, I think is what you call it. Emotional yeah. work. Yeah. Um, you have to do a lot of that to get past it, but that's really the concept behind it. That's why it's so traumatic for men is she becomes your conscience. She becomes that voice in your head. And uh, the right one, it just, it's like a rocket ship and yeah. the wrong one. It's like, it's like towing a piano. It's like uh, you know, a yeah. backpack full of lead. Right. Um, yeah. They can anyway, you know, seems like those, those are some things you might not have heard before. No, you know, I think I, this is the, that's interesting to hear because I'm, I love talking about the super ego um, as far as, you know, a, a construct of the mind, ego, id, super ego, because it's so helpful in understanding some of these phenomenons like depression, um, a judgmentalness, you know, a, a, a critical inner voice. So I, I think that, you know, when I, when I think about, you know, even the Cohen-Narc kind of idea here, and those are meta mindsets, not necessarily talking about pathologies, but it's more that, yeah, I, I that dominant voice of a, a woman that of the authority that she has over your conscience. I, I hadn't really thought of it that way. 
you know, because that, but that is really a lot of times who I, as far as getting fight, flight, or freeze, or the depression that I see, or the, the severe idea, the, the idea that men have of themselves is not being good enough, even though they're doing the laundry list always. of everything yeah. always. Yeah. And the guilt, I'm like, wow, that's a, that's interesting that they are taking up their position and, you know, at letting them be that part of them or really giving that throne. I call it take back your throne, you know, sure. your mind, please, you know, because you yeah. need to sit in that chair. Some, something's in there that's really not healthy. And, and, um, and, a, and a lot of times, but I, I do think, you know, that's right. There is a sharing that can either to totally rocket ship. It's so healing when, when you can share mind with someone that is like somebody that's really interested in partnering with you and, and really respects you and believes in you and mm -hmm. trusts you. Yeah. It's an unbelievable thing. Right. For who you are, not wanting mm -hmm. to be, you know, some sort of judge or critical voice mm -hmm. and, and not getting pulled into that either. You know, mm -hmm. that, you know, be, staying aware of, of helping people, you know, even think for themselves or respecting, asking questions and listening. So I, I, that's, I think, again, the more dominant the female on that one, I just like the, the harder that's going to be, the more work needs to be done. And, and I think the more dire the situation is. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. And, and, you know, we've, you and I have talked about this a lot. Things have changed in our society. And I think a lot of women expect themselves to be that. And so a lot more women expect or men expect that from women. And, um, is it, it you know, it's, it's potentially a, just nitroglycerin, you know what I mean? Right. And I, I think I see the phenomenon, especially in my TikToks and things stay single and, and even women that I work oh. with that are in their thirties yeah. can't find a man that wants a long-term relationship. I think it's, yeah, I think there's a lot of damage that's been done as far as like how society's telling everybody to act, you know, oh, okay. You know, you can do this, you can do that. Well, great. But can we ever learn how to communicate and respect each other as humans and be equal in a relationship? Yeah, everyone should love you just for who you are. Everyone should, you're great exactly how you are. No, no, you're not. You can be better. Everyone can be better. You should always be trying to be better. And having someone there that understands that is more of a carrot and less of a sharp stick. I mean, that, yeah. that's good. That's good stuff. Yeah, less of a sharp stick. And, and, and taking seriously, you know, after if you are able to, I think for our, the listeners today is like taking seriously after if you're able to get through this or finding help to get, you know, out of a relationship that is detrimental to your emotional health, your mental health and, and everything to take seriously and invest in yourself, uh, somebody that will help you work through a lot of what it was that you experienced during that time or how you got into the relationship or where you're going. Like at some point, that's what strength is is actually making, yeah, no sense, making sense of the situation with a therapist or with a man, men's group. I know I, men do that after I've, I've known, I've worked with a couple of people that have done that and really great experiences come from that just right most off the of bat. Them are, they agree. Most of them are very informal. I mean, I find that, yeah. um, you know, I was up North with my family over Memorial day weekend and I took a couple of walks with my brother and we just kick around some ideas and, very informal, but super, super helpful. I mean, he and I sit aside, you know, we'll talk about a thing and, mm -hmm. you know, I'm like, all right, cool. I feel better about that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, 
Yeah, yeah. informal men's group just as helpful. Yeah, yeah, and having friends and never it, do not disregard the importance of friendships over oh, just absolutely. staying that's a, isolated. That's a form of therapy. Yeah, and staying isolated in a relationship is detrimental. So, oh, no doubt. Yeah, so I, I think that this is. I mean, this is it. And I so and tell anybody. Is there anything else I missed about how they can reach out to you or your work? Well, I, you know, I know this is not popular to say, but I could give a shit about social media. You know, I only do that because I want to, I want to help people. I'm trying to get get this information out there. I mean, I talk about a lot of the topics in my in my books on my podcast, and that's the only reason I do it is to support mm -hmm. the book, right? I mean, that's why I'm on TikTok. I just hired somebody to start doing my TikTok. I know you're not supposed to admit that either, but I just in the summertime, I don't have. I got two businesses I'm running. I'm moving this summer. I just I don't have time to do it. She's a pro. Good. Take it, take it for now. Yeah, I'll deal with it in the winter time when I have the time and the drive. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, it's Travis Neville PCAST on TikTok. Mm -hmm. Everything else is Travis Neville Podcast. Um, you can see the logo behind me. Um, the book's available on, both books are available on Amazon. You get them in Walmart. Um, yeah. You get them at my publisher. They're both from different publishers, but the new one's at Palmetto. This is the one that I've just put so much more work in and like yeah. this is for everybody. And the first book was more for me. Like I wanted to share, Hey, this is how I live my life. This is how I mm -hmm. validate myself at the end of the day. This is how I make sure I'm living, doing the things I need to do to improve and get better. But that one is, is for, for you guys, like reviving yeah. masculinity. It's trying to help, but yeah, just go, you can just Google it. Reviving masculinity. Just Google my name, Travis Neville. It'll yes. come up according to Google. I'm an author. It's pretty cool. Like there's a there's my picture and it says, Oh, Travis Neville, he's an author. Here's his books. And you know, it's uh, that's kind of a neat thing, right? That's and, awesome. Uh, well, you are though, yeah. and you're a great writer. The books are Thank well you. written and easy to read. They're they flow. So I highly recommend them. And you're, and I appreciate that means a lot to me from you. Thank you. Absolutely. And I, I appreciate you coming on and we'll we'll talk again, I'm sure, as the conversation continues to evolve. Yeah, you, you call anytime, you know that. I will. All right, thank you, Travis. And everyone, I will see you again soon.